From the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. This is a companion podcast to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Elizabeth Kirky's episode of the companion podcast first. We can only play half of the episode, so if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The link to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. This week, we'd like to hear from listeners what kind of perks you'd like us to offer for patrons of the show. Early releases? A deep dive breaking down scenes with the author? Extra episodes of our favorite Vela reads? One-on-one time with us? We'd love to hear what you'd like us to offer. Leave us a comment at SerialFictionShow.com. With us today is Elizabeth Kirky. We'll be discussing her urban fantasy mystery serial, The Magical Enforcement and Secrecy Agency Files. Okay, so we are going to be discussing your urban fantasy serial, but we want to approach it with the uh, three-story method, which you don't need to know. We're just kind of going to go through it in a structured um path just so that we can kind of discuss some of the beats that we noticed when we were reviewing it right okay the first thing we want to hit is armature which is like theme it's the statement that you're making and when we looked at this uh when we looked at the scene we both kind of got this um sense that your character has this drive or this urge to protect others um the armature that i pulled was uh one must protect the innocent and defenseless even if they may risk their own life I'm curious if this plays part in how you write and if this was something that you were think of, thinking of as you were writing the scene. You know, I guess I was thinking of it subconsciously because that absolutely nails it and you only got like a thousand words of this guy. So I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I can, uh, I can tell you do this a lot. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a very, as I mentioned earlier, I've been working with these characters for like 10 years. So I've gotten to know them pretty well and they're... Um, the friendships that they kind of develop with each other really play a big role. So there's a lot of wanting to protect each other. Um, and eventually in the series, they, they become kind of like agents for, Oh, sweetie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. they become agent for this, uh, this group that basically goes out and, you know, tracks down, rogue vampires and attacking werewolves and stuff so they become protectors so they've kind of got that instinct already to go out and keep people safe yeah so looking at i'm assuming tom is is one of the main characters in this serial and it seems like he's very motivated to avenge his parents is that kind of what's driving him throughout the series or is there there more that you were thinking about it definitely starts out that way um he uh, part of the reason he he ends up joining this agency is so that he can make sure nobody else has to go through this experience with you know vampires killing everybody. Yeah, that was um that was one note that I definitely noticed when we look at like character wants and needs. Um, right. Because when you're looking at the scene and on the surface level, his want is clear. He just wants to 
stave off this vampire but you could almost feel that he needed to be that protector figure for these wolf werewolf pups in a right. sense that he he didn't have for his father because his father he wasn't able to save him so it was really right. cool to see those yeah so i guess i was wondering if that is something that is he actually needs to do or if he's feeling that way but there is uh, maybe something else that he needs to do. So maybe this is just a lie that he's telling himself that he needs to be the protector. He needs to intervene. He needs to pretend he's got it all together. Is that something that he needs to grow from as a character? Yeah, he's definitely not going to have it all together when uh, when this evening is over. <laughs> um, but he's still got that drive to kind of protect people. And I guess there's probably a part of him that that feels a little bit like he may have failed that night. So he, um, that night being the first couple episodes where there's a vampire attack for, for the people who haven't read it yet. Um, and I think part of the, the character growth as he goes is getting past this night and um, recognizing his own weaknesses and where, how kind of coming into his own and overcoming all of this. So when we look at a scene from the three-story perspective, we have a um, protagonist and antagonist, and you have a clear antagonist in the scene, the, the <laughs> vampire. But what was curious and interesting to me, and I'm, I'm kind of noting this for listeners as well, uh, is that the wants and needs of this vampire in the scene were very shrouded. Uh, the character was very much an action-oriented and had no uh, real dialogue within the scene. Um, right. I was curious when you're writing this, do you have clear uh, desires and on motives that you have in mind for this vampire as you're writing them? Or are they kind of shrouded to you as well as you're writing it? I do know them. Um, I don't, it's not necessarily a spoiler. Um, in this world, uh, when a vampire gets turned into a vampire, they kind of have this period of time where they, um, they can either come through this turning process pretty much the way they used to be and just now they're a vampire or they can actually sort of lose their humanity and come out more of a bloodthirsty killing machine so this is this is one of the vampires who's not all there and he is he doesn't necessarily have a motive more so than just causing chaos and and uh, taking out people. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I love that. And I, I love that that system there for the vampires. I think that's really clever. And I think that's going to be a great um, experience for readers as they go forward. And it definitely gives a great inciting, inc uh, inciting incident to this scene, which is just finding the bodies of his parents and an unmoving familiar. I don't really think there is anything that could take you out of your normal everyday world much more more than that so i really thought it was a great inciting incident mm -hmm. great so another part of the three-story method is breaking down a scene through the three c's which are conflict choice and consequence um and just seeing if they if they fit in with the scene and we kind of found where we think yours might be um conflict would be 
it's it's a little different than the inciting incident but it's within the scene it's the the shift the tonal shift more or less uh and we noticed that you know it's the man facing away from tom he's not sure if he's a friend or foe and it's kind of like that moment that shift where oh no there's someone else in this room um and then when we shift to choice it actually came really close after that uh where tom made the decision that you know we're gonna try and take this guy out uh, it was kind of interesting because sometimes you see a lot of choices coming at the end, but I really liked that you had choice so close to your consequence or your uh, conflict because it uh, it just made the rest of the scene feel very like, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Um, it made it seem like he, he had this drive, this motivation to move forward. It was really cool. Right. Um, and then consequence uh, would just ultimately be that, that terribly sad ending <laughs> um, where, you know, he's choking Tom out and he throws him across the room and he uh, injures his familiar. Uh, um, man, this was a, this was an excellent scene when you break it for three story method, but also just as a scene itself. So um, I'm curious because I'm sure that you weren't thinking of it in terms of three-story method, but what kind of process do you have when you develop scenes? I um, I definitely try to make sure that there's either a a cliffhanger because it's a serial, so you know you it's it's a little different for me than a chapter. Like I feel like there's there's a clear sort of beginning and then the middle and then the end, but I recognize that the end for these it's really not a well, now here's the chapter's over, I'm going to close the book, but it's almost like a continuation. So I'm trying to make sure that there's either just a satisfying conclusion, like, okay, this is done, but we know something's going to go on next, or there's like a full-on stop, everybody's hurt, something bad is about to happen moment. Yeah, and I love the way that the the consequence of his choice uh, just flowed right into a cliffhanger in this scene where you had the vampire standing over Tom as he's blacking out. I mean, you have to read the next episode to find out what's going to happen <laughs> to poor Tom. So you've written a lot of, uh, you, well, you've written one very long running series. Yeah. Uh, so how else, uh, other than the cliffhangers, are you finding serial writing different? I guess you did say it does give you more of a... Yeah, it definitely gives me more. Um, I also, it's, you typically, I'm, I'm paying a lot more attention to the length, I find. Like, normally when I'm writing a book, I kind of get to a moment and I go, well, this is the end of the chapter, and it feels right, and I put the chapter break, and I either, you know, keep going or I, I walk away. But with this, I feel like there's a lot of moments where normally I would have just kept it going, like one long fight scene within a chapter, but now I'm kind of like, well, you know what, we're going to break it in the middle and continue it in the next one. So I'm thinking a lot. I'm thinking differently about where the natural breaks come. Has your editing or uh, revising process been different at all than with your novels? Actually, no. Um, my <laughs> my editor uh, read the first book almost 10 years ago. And then just a couple of years ago, she, uh, she, um, she had majored in English and stuff. And a couple of years ago, we were talking and she was just reading an early draft for fun because she's you know she's my she's a friend she's become a friend and she wanted to read the draft and I was letting her and she was like hey do you have an editor yet because I am an editor and I recognize a lot of this so uh, what we've actually what we actually do is I basically I write a chapter and then I email it to her so it's pretty much the same now I'm writing an episode and I email it and get lots of oohs and ahs and um, 
she's fantastic because she knows all the characters pretty much as well as I do at this point. And um, she's really familiar with my writing style. So I get lots of good feedback. And I've, I've even had times where I'm like, I'm not sure where to go with this. And she starts bouncing ideas. And so she's, she's great to work with. Hopefully she'll stick around for the whole serial. <laughs> I'm curious, how, what does your process look like? Do you outline? Do you pants these scenes? I'm, I'm a bit of both. Um, with this, I'm trying to outline a lot more just because it's so much longer. And kind of my, my end is this vague, well, I've got 40 years to work with. So I'll either, you know, find natural conclusion along the way or I'll go right up to when the first book starts and that'll be it. Um, so I'm definitely trying to outline a lot more and I've heard some different writing theories for what really make a serial work as opposed to a novel. So I'm trying to be a little, a little more oriented in my outline. Um, probably my biggest challenge is that I've laid out so much of this story, like referenced in future books that I'm trying to sit down and make sure that I get all the years right and that people are where they're supposed to be and <laughs> in you know x you know in 1971 or whatever like so and i've had a couple times already where i've started writing and then i've been like wait a minute nope nope he's not even in the country he can't be in this scene and had to had to redo it so it's a little more challenging than i thought so do you use some kind of software to keep track of that or how do you keep all those timelines and details in your head uh i have a giant uh spreadsheet in word that I just kind of, I have several different ones actually for different characters and different years. And I've just kind of been pulling from those and hoping I keep them all straight. <laughs> so I guess how far out have you planned for this serial? Cause I know you have about 40 years to play with, but I'm curious how much like you have right. planned out. Um, I actually just kind of got uh, nailed down sort of the, at least the first main bad conflict uh, you know post post the vampire um and i uh, I, I said earlier i'm going to be skipping a few years here and there um after a few episodes is actually going to skip about five years in the future and then each like three or four episodes will be another year or two out until i've got all the characters together and where i want them um working for this agency uh and after that i've kind of just got i've got all the scenes sort of like this is going to be the the mission they're on for this one and uh, it's almost kind of two genres that i've mashed together so i have all the different scenes and then i'm working on getting them into a good timeline to figure out where they go and leaving it open to if i'm able to if vela works that i can get people to actually pick what they want to happen i'm trying to leave wiggle room for that too yeah that would be great uh, so what are you thinking in terms of your release schedule? Do you have a plan as to consistent releases, how many times a week or weekly, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, I'm toying between twice a week and just once a week. Um, it's kind of going to depend on how quickly I get all this, uh, how when, it, when Vela comes out and how much I've got released and um, kind of my schedule with two crazy kids running around and how we all settle down for the summer as i say that they come running upstairs screaming <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> so do you have any books or methods that you found useful when during this research and kind of figuring out uh how serials work 
Uh, yeah, I've, I joined, uh, I joined a discord group. Um, and there's been a couple of just some various posts I've found a couple blogs. I've been reading over those. Um, I've read some serials in the past on like radish and uh, WhatsApp and stuff. So I've kind of been looking at the, or not WhatsApp. That's a uh, thing. Um, Wattpad. Oh my gosh. Wattpad. Thank you. Yes. That's the one. Um, so I've kind of got a vague idea and, uh, I have to admit, I read a lot of fan fiction back in the day, too. And I know that fan fiction is kind of what had evolved into the serials. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to dredge that back up. (laughs) Absolutely. What would you say to someone looking to start a serial? Um, Definitely the planning. Um, It's a lot more involved in the planning it's not it's not just taking each chapter of a book and breaking it up it's it's there's a different flow to the different episodes and it's worth figuring that out well thank you elizabeth this has been um, yeah excellent (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) thank you our thanks today to elizabeth kirky for letting us break down their episode Finally, we want to thank you for listening to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple Podcast review, reread all of them and use your suggestions. Also, check out SerialFictionShow.com if you want to leave a comment on this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And And that's that's a a wrap! Stickers of our face? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Maybe not stickers of our face, but if you want Where that. Where did that come from? Wait, I got to cut that out. No, no, we're leaving that in. That's <laughs> you, If you want a sticker of my face, go right ahead. You really want a sticker of my face? No. <laughs> Do you want a sticker of my face? <laughs> uh. Would you like stickers? Of the attic hobgoblin in the basement troll? Let us know how that merch works for you. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. It'll be perfect. I really want them now. Hobgoblin and <laughs> attic hobgoblin and basement troll? Do you, okay, nerdy moment. Not really nerdy, but whatever. Do you know the Norwegian style of trolls and yes. like, the big nose? Yes. And like, I love those so I much. I love those too. You want us to be those? If someone could draw me as one of those, I would be so happy. I think uh, I can find someone to do that. <laughs> just, just you like want to do that? In an attic. I don't, I'm not opposed. That would be hilarious. I love it. I love okay, every we're totally doing it. I'm going to okay. make that happen now. I'm content with that. See, when I randomly- have to have the long hair. Okay, I and, have to. I have to have gorgeous flowing hair that's more gorgeous than this. It has to be like extension hair. Okay, that, that's going to happen. So when random things come out of my brain, maybe it's not the worst idea. Stickers of our face. <laughs> Stickers of our face. <laughs>